Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways, sponsored by the Notecast app. This is your season number two, episode 11, and I'm your host, Court Whitman. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider exploring more about me at courtwhitman.com. So for all those new listeners out there, High Performance Pathways is a purpose-built and specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during a one-on-one interview, and then I share it out with you. Why? Because I believe everyone has a different path to high performance. And hearing about the path that other professionals have journeyed along is informative, and it inspires us. During each episode of High Performance Pathways, it is my intent to do five things for you, the listener. Number one, connect. I'm going to connect you to someone else so you can build out your relationships. Number two, I'm going to question in order to understand. Number three, I'm going to share to raise perspective. Number four, I'm going to teach to increase your competence. And number five, I'm going to inspire to trigger your growth as a listener. One additional note to cover as you continue listening, this podcast is raw, meaning, hey, there's no post-production editing. We record live and we deliver it to you exactly as it was recorded. Now, my guest today is Kenan Kincaid. Kenan is the Chief Operating Officer for Odgers Bernston, and he's responsible in that capacity as COO for all the people, processes, and operations of the U.S. Division of the world's sixth largest executive search firm. And I'm stoked about having him on the show because a lot of my listeners are in transition in their professions. And hey, What not a better person to feature in his work than the work that this young man is doing in this executive search capacity. So, Ben, together with the CEO of this company, they lead the U.S. organization's growth strategy, and Ben is the, correction, I'm saying Ben because that's his daggone brother who's on my mind. I'm not talking about Ben. Keenan, I can't believe he hadn't said, hey, Court, what's going on here, man? So, let, let let me backtrack here, right? My guest is Kenan. Okay, so Kenan, along with the CEO, leads the organization's growth strategy, and he's the co-head of Brand Extensions, Berwick Partners, and Odgers Interim. In the year that Kenan has been with this business, they have experienced revenue growth of 20%. Prior to joining Odgers, Kenan spent a decade of his adult life building teams and advancing international relationships as a U.S. diplomat across Europe, Africa, and the Asia-Pacific. And that was then transitioning into joining a company called Rocket Lab. So when he wrapped up that time as a diplomat, his first pivot was into Rocket Lab, which is a cutting-edge aerospace company and launch service provider. And at Rocket Lab, Kenan established and then led the international business development, security operations, and international government-related functions. My man Kenan speaks French and Spanish, and he has a Bachelor of International Studies with honors from the Virginia Military Institute. Kenan is married to Lauren, who is originally from New Zealand, and he is the proud father, and I quote, these are his words, two young men in training, and I freaking love it. End quote. His boy's name's Calder, age 10, and Miles, who's five. When not at work, Kenan is an avid traveler and student of the world and absolutely loves being outside. 
Now, a couple other things I just want to add about this young man. Ken and I, and I talked about this in the intro, when I, when I mistaked his name, we were connected a number of years ago by his older brother, Ben. And Ben Kincaid was my roommate at VMI four years and just an incredible man, close friend. And I followed you, my man, from afar, in some cases without your knowledge, just based upon my relationship with Ben. And I've been just incredibly proud of you and the work that you've done. And I've appreciated the relationship that we've had that's grown over the past two years. Uh, to be honest, you know, I've just really benefited from being an extension of your network, specifically with your introduction to Merging Vets and Players, MVP. And that's an organization that uses mixed martial arts to bring together, you know, veterans from our military and athletes because they struggle with the same things. And then really just being introduced to the company you're working at right now and the executive coaching and leader development team. So, brother, I appreciate you. I thank you for carving out some time to be with us today to really just talk about your life, your perspectives in and around high performance and share that with the listeners. Thanks, man. Uh, Core, thank you, brother. Um, I'm, I'm humbled by the introduction and, uh, and humbled to be here with you today. Um, I think we both followed each other from afar for, for those years through Ben. Thank God for him. But uh, um, I, I appreciate everything you said about me. But uh, like I said, I'm honored to be here with you, uh, a true citizen soldier, um, friend, a high performer. And, and thank you for giving me the chance to, to have this conversation. Absolutely, man. Uh, you're specially selected. This, this thing is purpose-built. You know me. I'm pretty deliberate in my approach to things, and so there's nobody else we'd rather have with us here to share this conversation. Would like to just get rolling uh, here together um, with, with some intimacy, um, with some insight, specifically about you, because this podcast only works because of the incredible people that come on. And I would love for you to consider just sharing out with us a little bit about what it was like growing up in the Kincaid household. Uh, specifically, you know, in your opinion, what may have been that childhood experience in that home? And when I say childhood, I'm not just talking about age eight. Let's extend that all the way through high school, right? What impact do you believe that may have had on your early career and adult life? Uh, good, good question. I, and uh, leave it to you to start with a uh, leaning end of vulnerability, right? I think something that um, listening to some of your other, your other guests, and I think all of us that um, seek high performance have kind of realized that we have to stare into self and we need to be vulnerable about our experiences and where we've come from so we can know where we're going. So uh, happy to happy to try and, and answer that. I think I should start with um, so one of three brothers. Um, we uh, we were we were rough and tumble, and we uh, kept each other honest, which I think was is is, is a is a key uh, developmental part of life is to have accountability around you at all times. I think being one of one of three three boys um, does that, whether you mean to or not. And you know, you mentioned uh, Ben's name, and uh, and kind of led with his instead of mine. And I've, I'm I'm blessed to uh, be surrounded by high performers and brothers, and I would kind of say that. Uh, had the, the honor of living under his shadow in some ways, parts of my life. But I think that's what, uh, well, when I think back on childhood, we had, we had great parents. Um, you know, we came from a family that didn't necessarily have a lot of means. Um, we all worked together. We uh, were, you know, bonded together through 
hard work and experience and trying to take care of one another. But we were uh, really treated like individuals, right? I think it, the expectation was is um, take care of one another, but be accountable, um, be each other's biggest cheerleader. Uh, at the same time, accept, uh, you know, celebrate, celebrate your successes, but accept your defeats. And that started uh, at a really early age. Um, you know, I'll never forget the fact that uh, I, and I'm literally uh, thinking of this, the answer while, while talking, but the thing that comes to mind is I thought it'd be cool to uh, play the saxophone once upon a time. So, uh, so my family uh, went and bought a used saxophone and they supported that, uh, that endeavor. I jumped into um, music lessons and very quickly came to realize that I wasn't very good at saxophone. And I remember uh, first thing my dad said is he goes, Hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you practice outside? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it took me a minute to figure out that I was so bad that he just didn't want to even hear it in the house. Right. They let that persist for, I don't know, maybe a few weeks and continued to kind of encourage, uh, well, you know, keep giving us some more effort, keep trying. And I'll never forget. Um, it was almost like a family intervention sat down and they said, you know, you're really not very good at this. And, uh, you know, that could have really hurt my feelings, could have crushed me. But the way I think we were raised is you kind of pause and you went, you know, they're right. I could probably spend time elsewhere <laughs> on something on something that I'm, that I'm more aligned to or have a higher likelihood of a kind of long-term success. And, and that was the environment I was raised in, right? You know, mm-hmm. we were candid with one another. We, uh, we reoriented each other, you know, to try and point each other towards the things that we're going to be more successful at. And yet at the same time, going back to the saxophone story, uh, they were always, always willing to say, all right, go take a shot. Right. You know, um, we're going to, we're going to let you, let you experience it yourself. Um, so I, I know I kind of meandered a bit there, but it was that little, you know, kind of, kind of case study was a model of, you know, I think childhood and the Kincaid, Kincaid home. And, um, and, you know, it was experience after experience like that. And in some small way, you know, turned us into who we are today. Yeah, man, I love it. And I gotta ask, brother, did uh, did Ben or Ren ever venture out to picking up music at all? And how were they? Um, so I think let's see. Ben played the trumpet for a little while. He was equally as awful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think little brother, and this is where he had the advantage. He saw us both fail at endeavors like that, so he didn't he didn't bother at all, right? He. Uh, <laughs> Figured, figured music is not is not uh, in our in our DNA, um, but no, we like I said, we uh, we 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 called a spade a spade. You know, at the same time, we we uh, we we allowed each other the chance to to to, to see how it might play out. But um, yeah, Ben and the trumpet. I think he might have played the trombone briefly, but I'm, I'm I, I think that the, the trumpet was his tro- chosen instrument. <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, and I got, and I've got your younger brother because you're the middle, right? Your runger, younger brother's name is Ren, correct? Do I have that right? Yeah, I haven't yeah, spoken to him correct. in years. It was, okay, it was about four years between each of us, um, which cool. was just enough space as we weren't in each other's, in each other's worlds too much. Um, you know, weren't competing directly, which it was kind of a neat dynamic. So, absolutely. And uh, hey, man, uh, wonderful reflection. I appreciate you stepping into it, and what a great story, uh, really about. Uh, how a parent's role may be able to influence kind of the development of their kids. And so quick shout out, man, to parents, uh, if you're listening right now, if you're not thinking that duty that you have uh, is incredibly impactful for the family that you're raising, uh, hey, take a moment to reflect. And I don't care. And it could just be single parents, right? I'm not just talking about the family unit together because I'm certainly aware that there's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, are running in that broken home 
and continue to do the best that they can, or maybe you've lost a family member. Um, so just shout out to the parents, the incredible work they do, and shout out to siblings, right? I mean, here we have Kenan talking about the impact of his two brothers upon his life and, uh, and a way in which they held each other accountable. So if you are someone's sibling, how can you help them be more accountable uh, to kind of grow into that person that they're destined to be? And then I love the call out about celebrating. You know, I think it's incredibly important. Sometimes we don't do it enough, specifically in some of the circles that I run in. A lot of folks that are incredibly ambitious, in some cases, don't take the time to slow down and celebrate. And so a lot of things there that I think are important, you know, that you may be mindful of, you may, be, may not be as you've grown in your life that's birthed in the family household. So, hey, man, I'd love to learn a little bit more about Ben. Uh, you mentioned something um, which I think is interesting, which was uh, the word you used was shadow. Uh, you said, in a way, maybe you were kind of in your older brother's shadow. Uh, I'm the oldest brother of five. I've got three incredible brothers and an amazing sister. And I sure hope that I'm not casting some shade or some shadow on them. But uh, I'm just curious, man, um, you know, as the middle brother looking to an older sibling, any impact that Ben had upon your life that you'd want to share in this moment? It's a great question. And, um, you know, let me start with saying I'm, I'm blessed to uh, have a really close family unit. And, uh, and that's a reflection of, I think, going back to, to parents. So I couldn't underscore more the, the impact these things have in our lives and not to um, go off on a tangent here, but you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, my kind of thesis on leadership and high performance and what I've learned to date. And I look back and a lot of those things that I think I bring to the table now were very much those straight lines back to things that I, I learned at home, right? And if it wasn't at home, it was through uh, mentors um, and others that I got exposed to at a young age. So I can't underscore how important that is. And if people don't have those role models at home, it's uh, all the more reason to be a big brother to others and be involved in those things. But to go back to your to your question, um, you know, Ben and you 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 know him. And uh, if it's not just his his large brain inside that big head, he naturally casts a shadow, and he'd he'd be upset with me for saying that. But um, but he's a he's an exceedingly bright, intentional. Um, kind, good, decent athlete, you know, all the things that I think so many of us kind of aspire to, um, the attributes we aspire to have and the, the person we want to be. So on one hand, you know, to have a role model of a brother is a real blessing. On another, right, is you're constantly trying to go, man, you know, how do I measure up? He was the valedictorian, as you know, of his, of his university in the Virginia Military Institute and um, um, was always, a, you know, a pretty good athlete and, and succeeded at everything he ever ever put his mind to. So, you know, for a period of time, you know, you're a few years back from that and you're going, man, he just continues to succeed. Everything he touches turns to gold and, and you can allow that to impact you negatively to retreat, to not want to try and aspire to those same things um, and live under that shadow, which, you know, a shadow is cast, you are under it, or you can decide to go, you know what, there's a lot to learn here. Um, I'm going to lean into those learnings. I'm going to spend time with that man and, um, and, and see if I can chart my own course. And I think what Ben would tell you if he's on right now is we've, uh, we're two very different people that have been, thank God, um, uh, given the opportunity to do neat things and have been, knock on wood, successful at the stuff that we've put our minds to. Um, but I think it comes from, going back to that term, 
having lived under that shadow, but then being able to step out from under it and, and, and chart, you know, one's own course. And, and I, I owe a lot of my success. I'd say this to Ben and, you know, the lessons that I learned by watching him, um, you know, as a, as a, going back to our childhood, I remember he, uh, he and I were throwing baseball and I used to be afraid of the ball. So I'd move out of the way of it. Right. And kind of stick that arm out and kind of shift the body. You know, everybody kind of knows that, that, that baseball move where you're not where you're supposed to be, which is squarely in front of the ball. And, uh, and what did he do? Right. As any good brother does, he had this barn in the backyard and he said, look, you stand in front of that barn. And he threw baseballs at him at me until I, <laughs> until I, until I learned to catch it the right way. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a, of a brutal example, but you know, I had a, I had a brother who cared and I think, um, he has a brother who cared and me and the little brothers in the same, same space, but we've, um, yeah, I think learned from one another and, you know, and going back to that shadow, I've managed to, take the best of that as examples, step out from it and, uh, and run, I'd say Ben and I would say we run right beside each other now. Right. Um, and that's, and that's, that's the place to aspire to. So. Awesome, man. Love it. Uh, what resonated with me is this idea of no retreat, man, no retreat, right? If you have someone <laughs> in your family, younger, older, happens to be older here that, uh, in some way you look up to, and that can certainly happen. To a younger brother, heck, my youngest brother and I are separated by over 14 years. Same mama, same dad, right? And that knucklehead has graduated from uh, Wingate as a PA, and he's just done incredible things. I look up to him, right? And this is my younger brother separated by more than 10 years. So, hey, just just shouting out, man, to kind of your reflection and the role that we play uh, in the family um, and the impact we can have on each other yeah i think it's yeah being being one another's biggest cheerleaders right of course going back to that earlier which is have to hold each other accountable you know we call each other out but we can be we can do that in private and uh and 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 run alongside celebrate and encourage you know out 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 in public but you know i've got you've got kids now i've got kids it's amazing how life kind of moves forward but seeing my 10 year old and five year old there's a uh you know big age gap between the two that wasn't intended that's just kind of what life brought but I wouldn't change it. And that, that little five-year-old, man, he's got a life advantage, right? You know, he's chasing this 10-year-old who's, by order of years, he's smarter, faster, um, you know, more well-spoken, all because he's got this little advantage. But this five-year-old that I've got, I see it every day, right? He just leans into it, right? And he's more articulate because of it. Gosh, he might be faster than the 10-year-old now because, you know, to your point, he doesn't retreat. And I think about all this advantage that the five-year-old has right, over the 10-year-old that he, he, won't, he won't connect all those dots for another 15 years. And, uh, and it's, it's really wild to watch, but it's a, it's, a, it's a this generation version of what I think I'm trying to explain with, uh, with Ben. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I would say that all of my, my siblings younger than me are more talented than I am, and, and maybe I helped out on that. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Uh, Intentionally or not, you did. <laughs> yeah, man. So, so I'm pulling for Miles, your youngest, and I'm pulling for Caleb too. Um, I, I think I got that those names right, um, and and their roles that they're playing now, even as your kids, man. Um, would love, it, yeah, no doubt, brother. Uh, I'd love to pivot in this moment to college. Um, you know, we have a lot in common here together. Of course, me and your older brother were roommates for four years at VMI which was just an incredible experience for me. Uh, ben is just, just he's amazing. Um, and then you decided 
to go to VMI, which I, which, and, and, I, and I don't believe that you or Ben went into the military like I did, which I always try to figure out how the hell does that happen? Why do people subject <laughs> themselves to that military college environment without wanting to go into the military? Um, but where I'd like to focus here together is really on what you did afterwards. Now, uh, as I understand it, you, you're, you studied there at VMI, International and Global Studies, and then at some point thereafter graduation, you decided to enter uh, the service as a foreign service officer. And I, may, I might be framing that wrong, right? So help me out um, with the Department of State. And so I'm just really curious in this moment, is there anything that you could share with the listeners about what it is to be a foreign service officer? Um, and I'll tell you why. It's because I have a number of folks that are retirement eligible or mid-career in the military. And to be honest, quite a few that are considering service as a foreign service officer. So any insight, any perspective you might share about that part of your life? Yeah, let me, I'll jump backwards to move forwards uh, to the earlier part. So uh, VMI and, and not joining the military, I think we all all went to VMI with a maybe an eye towards the military. And then, you know, things kind of shift, decisions change, opportunities change. But, um, you know, I, I willfully went to a place like VMI after watching you and Ben suffer through it, which makes me question my sanity a little bit. Um, and that I had full <laughs> visibility over what a Spartan place it is. And, uh, and I went there for probably all the wrong reasons. I had a, a chance to wrestle and knew I could uh, get in and have a go at a, at a D1 varsity sport for a little while. I only did that for a couple of years, but it was, uh, um, it was not with this desire to go, all right, VMI is going to lead me to the military, the military is going to lead me to this, and that's going to lead me to that. I wish I had that kind of foresight and vision. I saw it as a, as a neat chance to do something different than most people do. And I think um, you know it's it's a it's a bit of a bit of my DNA is is to go all right. I want to do things that that are um, different or unique, and and that was a first step towards that. I think something you're going to hear throughout today's conversation as we look at my career and and path is looking forward. It probably it didn't I didn't have a plan or a vision and. It wasn't with great intentionality. I did all the things that I did. Um, but looking back on it, I think there's a pretty straight string. You can kind of pull through it. It's funny how that works, right? Yeah. Um, but the one constant through it is I tried to listen to other high performers, follow good advice, and follow really good people wherever I went, right? Mm. And that's taken me, I think, on, on the journey that I've been on, and that's the one kind of constant or theme through. So fast forward a bit. I uh, I left VMI, and got out and said, man, you know, not in the military like many of my friends. I had a, an initial opportunity to go work on Capitol Hill, which was just a short-lived um, a year of a lot of fun, um, neat exposure to, to politics and what it was, but there was something that was still really missing. Um, you know, I think you go to VMI because you do care about service, you do care about country. Um, it does raise citizen soldiers, whether or not you serve right away, you're always willing to raise your hand. Um, and I was in a little bit of a time of internal conflict, and I, uh, I, again, don't put this on my bio because I don't think that I really um, earned the status because of the time that I spent. But I went and um, re-enlisted in the National Guard. And by the time I'd done that, I was far enough out of EMI that I couldn't go right to OCS. So I had to go off to basic training. So there I was at 23, 24 maybe, 
and I'm in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, um, with a bunch of 18-year-olds, <laughs> kind of going, well, I guess this is my path into at least being a citizen soldier. Man, I should have done this right out of VMI. It would have been easier. Wow. Um, so I, I tracked through that, and then I was heading towards OCS and was attached to a unit there in Virginia. And running parallel to that, as I met a woman um, who went on to become a real key mentor in my life, Susan Rayburn, um, captain in the U.S. Navy, who's... Um, what went on to be, I think, an undersecretary um, of the Air Force and, and a very accomplished lady. And she met me, saw me, and she kind of said, hey, why are you doing what you're doing? Let's talk about your career. Let's think about where you're going. And uh, she pointed me in the direction of the Foreign Service. You know, I, as uh, one would, you know, how, do you, how do you get a job like that? You know, what's the process even look like? And, and she set me down that course. So off I went and um, started to pursue it. And I was uh, accepted, passed the test, and was, was um, considered part of what they cast as a unique group of, um, of individuals that are going to go overseas and serve their countries as diplomats. My focus was very much on the national security arena. We're still involved you know, in conflict around the world, fighting terrorism. And I said, look, this is a way to go serve, and I've got this National Guard duty that will run complementary to it. Well, all of a sudden, there was a juncture, was a tug of war between me and, um, and, and duty stations. I was assigned to go to Nigeria on my first foreign service assignment. The military was looking at activating a unit, and I literally, uh, I remember I went and found the, um, the, the gen- adjutant general for the state of Virginia, and I said, hey, look, man, I'm uh, one government, one sense of service. I'm happy to go wherever I'm most needed and my skill sets we put into play, but what I don't want to do is, is be in the middle of two parts of the same government. Uh, fast forward a bit, my military service was, um, was wound down, my foreign service was, was ramped up, and, and off I went to Nigeria and found myself wandering northern Nigeria as an individual trying to understand the threat landscape as it was with now something we've come to call Boko Haram, and also looking at the Niger Delta around the militant organization that was tying up oil reserves and, 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 and messing with uh, strategic supplies of, of energy for, uh, for the U.S. And, and, and from there, I kind of built a, a career in, uh, in the Foreign Service for pivoting elsewhere. But to go to answer your question, after kind of giving a little context there, what does a Foreign Service officer do? Um, lots of different shapes and sizes. You know, you have those who go off to do kind of political diplomacy overseas, others who focus on more economic diplomacy overseas. And in those ranks, you kind of think about they're the individuals that are the pointy side of the um, spear of diplomacy working out of our embassies abroad. You know, for me and a real passion around security, I kind of uh, pursued the political path and really focused on counterterrorism originally. And then that morphed towards really looking at China and strategic threats. Um, China and North Korea was what I was focused on out of my assignments in the Asia Pacific. But uh, for me, it was it was a a way to channel um, my education, my desire to serve, my um, uh, my search for adventure, and mm. and and to bundle all those up into one place. But very different than the military track, which I'd kind of pivoted back to. I um, worked on great teams, but my role in the foreign service was for a period of time very much working as an individual operator in yeah. in weird parts of the world. So. It's, it's, a, it's a job that takes many different paths and tracks. You find great former uh, retired military who jump into that, into that world and do great things. Um, and you find others who come right out of college and spend a career um, thinking how to better position the United States abroad, solve problems, negotiate deals, 
um, meet the people we need to be talking to. And, and it's the, the one beauty of it all, like the military, done best, it's apolitical, right? It's all about doing what's right for America. It's uh, trying to position us best we can in a world that's fraught with with uh, with dangers and, and enemies and inconsistencies and, and the place from which we try and um, yeah shine that light that is the good that America is and the fundamentals and principles we have and uh, and take that take that outside of our borders abroad you know to the to the to the greater world so that's uh and 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 as few words as possible uh, you know kind of an ugly way of trying to describe uh, what that role is and I'm um, happy to chat a little bit more about my personal experience there but that's uh, that's kind of the lead in up to that yeah I love it, man. Um, thanks for sharing. Sounds incredibly fascinating. Um, and almost like I was in a movie watching somebody as you went through that. So um, I think really just two follow-ups uh, that are helpful for the listeners. One, you know, in, in about the decade of time that you spent, as I understand it, in that work, could you give me an idea of how much of that time you spent overseas and just ballpark, you know, three of 10 years, seven of 10 years. Um, thoughts around that could be really informative, I think. And then any any top memories, man? Like when you look back on that part of your life, what do you remember most? Yeah, so um, eight of 10 years, uh, plus or minus a few months there with uh, – two of those being in Nigeria, uh, out the gates. And then I was pulled back into Nigeria a few times, um, after I'd left to try and, um, solve some problems and, and, and sort out some issues there. The, uh, next I was in, uh, based out of Paris, France for about three years where I continued to kind of cover down on, on Francophone Africa and, and issues from there. And then I was based in, uh, New Zealand. I know it doesn't sound like a difficult spot. It's not at all. It's a beautiful land. And, um, from there, I was I was working with our our, our allies um, to think about China and and what that what that meant for all of us as they were expanding and and kind of growing their influence across the world. But it was a safe place which I could pivot out of and and think about that um, that strategic I'll say it strategic threat that uh, that we had. So an economic partner on one hand, very much a strategic threat on another. So man, top one to three memories. Um, it's funny because I look back on it and it does. It seems like a, a movie in some way, a blur in others. Um, so many things that kind of came to seem as normal that when I look back on them were definitely abnormal for most, right? <laughs> as, uh, sure. as, you're, as, you're, as you're jumping in a truck and you're, you're driving into northern Nigeria by yourself with the goal of trying to understand, um, you know, what this latest little militant group is up to, um, you know, to – you know, working working with the French uh, to to try and 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 sort out you know uh, what was going on in Syria, which became a big issue once upon a time. But in the moment, that was just what you did, right? That was all yeah. quite normal, and you responded to to the threat of the crisis of the day. Probably like you know when you were when you were deploying, you know, you just uh, you didn't really think a lot about it. You just did it, right? <laughs> and uh, and in hindsight, you know, you almost pause and go, wow. Um, it was it was an honor to have been a part of those moments in history and and to have any kind of role in them. But but uh, memories. So I'll start with um, one that's not really even connected to being a diplomat, but having the chance to live overseas. My both my boys were spent the formative parts of their years um, outside the U.S. So the littlest one was born in France. Um, the oldest one was uh, like I say made in Nigeria. 
Um, and you know, was was because of healthcare there. Was born in the states, um, but you know, he went on to spend the first couple of years of his life as a fat little 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 white kid in uh, in, in Nigeria, and the second one born in Paris, while the older ones learning French and and not even realizing he's speaking French on the playground. So, in the midst of this really rapid pace of work and requirements, you know, I had the benefit and blessing to have two kids that were. Um, healthy and experiencing things that, man, I think back on childhood, I didn't get on a plane until I was, you know, 20 years old, right? I didn't go overseas until I was 20 years old. And here's these two little guys that just see it as, see it as normal. Um, So I'll tell you, those those memories will forever be kind of work, success, mission, you know, aside, um, some of the, uh, the most important kind of neat memories of that time period. But, um, and I'll tell you a couple couple things. Just to, I'm pausing here just for a minute to you know think which ones are, are most meaningful for um, folks listening. Um, I'll start with when I was I was in New Zealand, and these are just little moments in time, but I think they're really interesting. We live in this hyper politicized world now, right? You can't turn on the the TV without without um, wondering how we're going to kind of get through it all. And I was in Auckland, New Zealand when I guess Trump was elected, and you know most of the world is is a little bit more. Um, you know, I hate to talk politics, but it's just fact. Most of the world is a little bit more democratic leaning or socialist in nature um, than I'd say where kind of the U.S. is, um, as far as being kind of a bit more of a divided country politically. And and I'm standing there at a little reception get together, and I looked around, and there was two or three Kiwis, New Zealand citizens. They broke down in tears, right? They were emotionally distraught over the fact that uh, that that Donald Trump had won and Hillary Clinton had lost. And for a minute, I had paused that minute. I thought to myself, Would I, as an American, ever have an emotional response to a foreign election, right? Another country. Um, sure, I follow politics. We all do. We see who gets elected and and who's campaigning and running other places. But here was about as far away from the U.S. as you could be. Yes, a like country, same norms, same values. But here was someone that's so attached to our experiment as a country, so attached to who's running for office, that emotionally it caused them to feel hurt, pain, concern, whatever it was, to emote like they did. And in that moment, I kind of said, you know what? We're doing something right. America's still a, still a beacon on the hill. America's still leading um, or trying to lead, whatever it may be. Uh, but it, it really reinforced for me, wow, we have a lot of responsibility. There's a lot we need to do. Uh, we need to maintain and respect this position of leadership we have and realize everybody's watching, right? Um, and you can take that in lots of directions, the everybody's watching piece of it. But it was it was a really yeah seminal moment for me, you know, and and a and a, and a point in time that had nothing to do with my daily workflow, right? But being abroad and seeing the way others view us and how they think about us and what leadership means in that context, um, but it'll it'll stick with me. It'll stick with me forever. Um, the other thing of being of being abroad in those countries is I worked as a singleton a lot. You know, I'd go out and meet people and um, and try and sort through problems and help policymakers back in D.C. think about threats or think about solutions to threats. Um, but when you're by yourself out front doing those types of things, I think you really realize how important the team is back at home, right? Whether that's family, whether that's 
the folks have been prepping you with the information you need to go out and succeed. And, and I will never forget some of the learnings of being overseas, forward deployed, out front, that the success was really only enabled by those prepared you to go succeed. And, um, you know, and I can sit here and tell stories with you forever about individual assignments and, and things that do that. And I'm sure they'd be interesting. Um, but, yeah, the, the memory is really attached to those, uh, those teams that sometimes were remote teams that are really driving my ability to, to go and execute on mission and, 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 and do stuff. Um, but I, I felt blessed to have been in Nigeria at a time of, um, um, yeah, political unrest, crisis, to have a hand in helping solve some of that, to help think about threats that hopefully we were able to inform people on and get in front of, and then, you know, to partner with allied countries and friends to, you know, to keep not just America, but I think the, the broader world hopefully a little bit little bit safer in the little things we did. I mean, a lot like a lot like you, Court, we were blessed to be on the front lines in different ways, right? So. Absolutely, man. Um, what, what a fascinating reflection. Really appreciate you sharing that out and some of those memories that have been formative for you. You talked family, you talked work. And you even talk just uh, some insight that you gained as an American uh, and someone else's response to something that is uniquely American, the election of our president. So thanks, man. And I would love to just move through in this moment um, your transition out of that line of work. Uh, and it's a selfish question here because um, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm coaching transition. A number of the folks that uh, I'm serving are going through some sort of a transition experience um, I think life's all about transition, but there are some formative ones. And I think some that are pretty important that we need to think through is how do we make a pivot in our professional career? And you did when you decided to walk away from that work. And I'm just curious, man, what, what challenges did you find when you made that decision? And, and how did you step into and find meaningful work after that period of time in your life? That's a great question, and I, I still stare into it, right? Because um, I'm still dealing with years later, um, yeah, some of those some of those questions, and I'll come back to that. But uh, let me start by saying uh, it wasn't a perfect pivot, and I, I tried a couple of times. And what, what I mean by that is, um, when I got back from Nigeria, and for a variety of reasons, and it was my own pace of work, getting medevaced out of a country, dealing with all the stuff that comes with a tough, tough place like that. Um, my, my family was done. You know, they said, look, we're not, we're not going to do this anymore. This is not healthy. Um, it's not good for a family. So what did I do? I said, all right, let's, uh, you know, family first, I was blessed to serve. Uh, what do we do? And so I, I submitted my resignation after just three years in the foreign service. I remember the HR person now, as I did, they, I'd taken all this time to write this thoughtful, Resignate, uh, letter of resignation and uh, went in there and explained the situation and this person picked up the pile of papers on their desk, slid my letter on it, shut it, and then changed the subject. And I was like, well, that did not go as planned, right? I thought to myself, I was like, this is my moment, right? You know, I'm leaving on my terms and didn't know what I was going to do next, but I knew that I was going to head up, shoulders back, um, you know, head out the door and go figure it out. And they uh, they sent something or saw it. They're like, you know, I think we can pull them back in. Uh, fast forward a little bit, they did. Um, you know, seven eight years later is, is is when I finally did get out. But it was 
a couple of moments like that where I stared into the mission I had and I because I never viewed it like a career. I think when you serve you gotta be all in and I think in jobs like that it's hard to be all in for twenty years and not just be a bureaucrat. Um so I was always of the mindset that if I can't give it everything I have and can't give the taxpayers what I feel like they deserve out of what they're paying me to do my job, um, then it's time to go elsewhere. So it was years of love and mission, looking at family, exploring opportunities, where they're going to be based, how it is. But I always had an eye towards this is this is a season, right? You know, this is a chance to serve, but I'm going to end up transitioning at some point. So I had lots of conversations. I never committed to timelines of when I was going to leave, but always um, started after those first couple of years, that almost exit of just putting thought behind it. And, and being intentional with my network and thinking about if and when the time comes, you know, what am I equipped to do and, uh, and what might that be? And, you know, it finally did come, you know, after, after New Zealand, where, again, it was just it was time. The family wanted to get back to the States, and I was, I was committed to making that happen. And I just started to weigh opportunity. Um, and I was blessed I had a few but when you have a few opportunities, that's also it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because you're going, gosh, you know, which one's going to be better than the next? Trying to think about a perfect transition, um, on a transition to one thing, it's going to be my forever thing. You start to go through all of this, this, you know, this, this, this mental wrangling mindset. Um, and for me, it all goes back to something I, think I said earlier, which is nothing's perfect. Um, follow your somewhere that 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 area in between your your head and your gut and for me a lot of that is aligned to making sure that I'm aligning with good people who are doing good things and and step into that and see where it goes and that that mindset has taken me to where I am where I am now but you know happy to unpack some of that but I will go back to the question uh, one of the questions you asked earlier which is what's one of those struggles? And I'd say one of the biggest, and this is my own and comparing notes with others, we can wrap so much identity into the thing that we did, um, particularly if it's the military, particularly if it's something of, you know, higher service, or I'd even, I'd posit it's probably the private sector too. You know, you're working for high performing companies. You know, we attach a lot of ourselves to that, that title, that name, that mission. Um, and it's hard to say, Today, that's done, and tomorrow, I'm doing something else, and now it's just a bunch of stories that I tell, right? <laughs> and uh, and that's, 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 I think, mentally very, very difficult, and you have to somehow be able to, I think, deal with that as much as you do finding the next thing, if that makes sense. Amen. Uh, a freaking man, brother. Um, I think what I'm hearing from you here is that the struggle for you was identity and i think that's a incredibly common place that i find in the folks that i serve and I, as i look at my own life for so many times i answered the question hey court tell me a little about yourself oh i'm an athlete oh I'm a, I'm a green beret uh not so fast man my identity is something deeper i'm a man who's brave humble honest and spiritual that's who i am those other things are just the vocations that I ended up pursuing because I found incredible value alignment. And those were four of my values I just listed off and what I did. And so I appreciate you giving me the platform to kind of 
meriting on that a little bit because I think the way to pull yourself through an identity crisis and transition is a return to what you value at the core. And then how do you seek that out uh, in the next organizational culture that you find? Uh, and that being said, man, let, let's talk about that. So what are you doing now, man? Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be that COO and then talk a little bit about your company? I'd love to hear about that, your mission, how you're serving. I see you re on LinkedIn all the time, man, with all the incredible stuff that you're doing. So could you provide some insight and in what you're doing yeah, now? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I'm going to pause with you on that pulpit that I think you just uh, so eloquently stood on and articulated there is um, that bit about identity. And, and it's, it's, I think, all the way back to your first question about VMI. And then you think about elite service for the government, whatever form that may take. And I think a lot of folks would say, you know, VMI made me, right? Or, you know, thank God for the military, it made me. Or, you know, and these things formed us. And in part, they do. But I also think we go to those places, we involve ourselves in those things because they align with our values, right? And and we seek out those challenges. We seek out those places. And they they further hone those those skills, those values. But I think we do forget that we we intentionally sought those things out, right? And you know, we wanted to surround ourselves with with like in order to in order to do good. And I think when we leave those things, we're doing the exact same thing in the private sector, or we should be, right? Exactly to your point. And it's uh, and it's and it's not taking anything away from any of those great institutions or places, um, but they attract a certain type of personality, a certain set of values, right? As much as they, as much as they hone and make them. And I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but it's something I stare into a lot these days. And then how we bring that to the private sector, right? As opposed to thinking we left it behind. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I 100% agree because I, I agree because I, in fact, coach people to have a high level of self-awareness on what they value and then seek that value alignment. So I think that, yes, uh, I, I am with you in, in the way you shared and referenced that. Please continue. Yeah. So um, where I sit now, I, uh, I'm the chief operating officer of, a, of one of the largest uh, executive search firms in the world outside of the U.S. We're the second largest in the U.S. We've just recently broken into the top 10. We were founded in the U.K. originally. Um, my boss, great, great human, as I would like to say. Um, asked me to come in and join an industry that hadn't changed a whole lot in 60 years. Um, you know, executive search has also got the term headhunters, right? Somebody hires us and says, go find us one of those, and we go out and navigate the, navigate the, uh, the terrain to, to go bring them one back and say, what do you think of this one compared to that one? And we're helping people find their uh, next, next generation or next turn, if you will, of leadership. So, we exist at kind of the highest level of the business, the C-suite. So think about kind of CEO minus five for most organizations. Anything that begins with a C, um, a chief, we're, uh, we're out there looking to find the best of whatever that may be for whatever industries we serve. We work across, I'd say, the entirety of the U.S. economy. You know, we have expertise in just about every vertical. I'm proud to say we've got one of the world's best aerospace, defense, and national security practices, but we also transition all the way over to technology, financial services. You know, we've got guys with MDs and MBAs that are much brighter than I who help people solve their solve their, uh, their biggest leadership challenges. As Court knows, we've also got uh, an executive coaching business and 
and a business that looks at interim talent, which is somebody just needs a leader for a period of time to help them through transition, we go help them find that talent as well. So I was brought in as a, to kind of help us think about how can we do that better and more efficiently? How can we bring technology into the business? How can we put LinkedIn and all these things in the right perspective and, uh, and think about the next turn of this industry? Because you think about it, and I really didn't until I got involved in it, but you know, three kind of most critical moments in people's lives are, and I think I'm sure you can maybe add a couple others to them. But you know, when people get, you know, when people get married, when they have kids, you know, maybe when they move house, and when they change jobs, right? And what do they, you know, more often than not, only do uh, more than once is, uh, or, or or twice is is change jobs, right? So that thing, that really big deal in people's lives you know, probably happens a few times and where we sit is across that intersection. Um, so it's a really important thing to get right, right? You're trying to find the leader for a company that's going to take it where they need to go or turn it around or do uh, whatever the next part of their strategic plan is. And for that person, man, you know, this is going to be either the, the thing that takes them financially into the next place, um, um, uh, career-wise to that next level but also has all these implications on family and location and all of that. So how you caretake that, I think, is something that, uh, you know, companies like ours need to take really seriously, and I think we certainly do. So what I've been here to do is help us continue to grow across the U.S. We have 14 offices now here. We've got a growing team, and and then how we change an industry, if you will. I like to joke we've got a an old name, an Odgers Berenstain, um, back to the – Original founders there in Europe, and the goal is to be a be a search firm named after um, two folks that are difficult to pronounce, and kind of be the uh, the innovators of the industry going forward. And that's where me being an outsider into it has kind of given me unique perspective. But um, it's it's an honor to be be leading people. And to your earlier point, it's it's interesting when I step back from it, you realize it's the same skills, the same attributes of all of the roles that you have just applied through a different lens. And when I was thinking about sit, spending time with you today, is I was like, well, what is high performance? How do I think about it? And I think what I've realized is high performance transcends the environment. The same skills your listeners have that have made them what they are today, it's applying those to a different problem set, right? As a solo contributor, maybe to a team member, to a leader, I think it's the same three things, and I'm, this is me simplifying it, you know, it's direction, being clear on the mission, it's leadership, engaging and influence others, and, uh, and it's execution, being able to get stuff done, just plain and simple. And it's how you're applying those things, those behaviors, to the problem set, to the size of the organization, to the people. Um, and it's, and I think everybody that's a high performer is capable of moving up that food chain, right, and uh, and applying them in different ways, and that's something I've had to really stare into. Here, I'm going to be vulnerable real quick. Is and I feel like an imposter most days, right? Um, you know, I joke with my my wife and my close friends and brother Ben. You know, I, I suffer imposter syndrome. It's true, and and the more I think about it, it's probably a good thing because I wake up each day a little bit hungry, right, and a little bit a little bit scared, <laughs> and uh, and it causes me to really I think be intentional about everything I do and. Um, but it's also the same time reminding yourself is that you're not right. You're just applying what you've always done to a new problem set. And if you do that and you do it with, with those right things in mind, you know, you're going to succeed. And if you don't succeed, you're going to learn from it and, and succeed the next day. But it's, it's, it's something I, I admittedly 
um, you know, deal with each and every day, even in this new position that's got a chief title in front of it. Um, you know, it requires great humility. So, yeah, man, uh, phenomenal. I, I don't even know if I have a follow up to that. It's almost like mic drop time. Um, I really appreciate you giving some insight to how you're serving now, what your company does, and kind of your just perspectives on high performance. Um, and and where, do, where does someone connect with you? Is it as simple as I just share your LinkedIn handle and then uh, they can get up with you? I can't imagine you have time to be re much responsive on LinkedIn. Um, is it maybe just your website? How do people find I you? I'd say this is, um, you know, by all means, I, uh, I've made myself accessible on LinkedIn. Please feel free to send me a note, connect as a uh, as a contact, or even or even reach out. Forgive me if I don't respond right away. It's uh, my, I will, I promise. Um, also, for those of you who know Court, um, please he can he can route you through to me uh, even more directly. Um, I'm I'm committed to um, helping helping others through their journey. I do it as a job, but I tell you, I'm guessing a large part of your community is uh, folks who, who've served uh, similar to you court in different ways. And I've got a great big soft spot for, uh, for that community, uh, particularly our veterans and, and those who've, who've, who've served in any way. And, um, and, and I, I want to be able to, to help and connect. So uh, anything I can do, I know it's a dangerous thing to say, but I will, I will certainly, certainly do my best to do it. And if I can't do it, I'll, uh, I'll introduce you to somebody who can. And no doubt. I know that I'm up against a timeline with you. And so I think it's time probably to, uh, to wrap things up here together. But, but I would love to see if you could entertain maybe a follow on episode to talk maybe tactically in and around kind of just your thoughts on how well do veterans compete um, for some of these incredible positions out there. So you don't got to answer that now. But I would love to maybe get a follow-up uh, later on this year if we can get you back on here. Uh, and with that, I just want to close out. Um, and I invite you to close out in the way that we do on this show with the high-performance breakdown. And so what I'm going to say for you, my friend, is breakdown on three. I will count one, two, three. And when you, heard the, when you hear the word, when you hear the word three, uh, that's your invitation to give us three claps followed by the words boom, shakalaka. And then, my friend, I'll close out the show so you can get off to where you need to get to. Any questions around that? Not a thing. Just uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Court. And, um, and, and the, answer is, the answer is yes. Anything I can do to help our veterans, and I, I certainly will. All right, brother. You the man. Hey, breaking us out here in episode number 11 of season two, my friend, Kenan Kincaid. Breakdown on three, my man. One, two, three. Boom shakalaka. I love it, man. Kenan, have a great one. Thanks for being with us, my man. For everybody listening, know that I'm going to hang all of the links in this podcast summary when it hits Bud Sprouse and all those incredible providers that it's at. So you can find that. Um, you'll find his LinkedIn handle, but it is Kenan Kincaid, spelled K-E-N-N-O-N, Kincaid, K-I-N-C-A-I-D or visit that company website, and I'll share that with you too. You can find more information about this episode and other episodes at the website, courtwhitman.com. Now, everyone, get out there. Consider some of the thoughts that Kenan shared with us today and chase high performance in your own life.